uh, to be here. I, I, I'm, bound to, I'm bound to have attended many uh, Trinity weekends, family weekends. I remember, I only remember two of the speakers were talking about this. Um, it's like many meals. Uh, you've eaten lots of meals in your lifetime. You don't remember that many of them, but they know, you know that they've done you good. Uh, and it's a bit like that with sermons and talks that you've heard. You don't necessarily remember all of them, but you know they've done you good. And the two that I remember, uh, well, the first one in particular was, um, and now his name escapes me. No, John Woodside, I remember. Bill Hughes, Bill Hughes. Because it was at a time when I had been asked to go to France and didn't want to go to France. And Bill Hughes came here and preached on Jonah. And thanks to Bill Hughes, largely, one of the reasons uh, I'm now in France. So uh, I'll not forget that. I've forgotten his name momentarily. (laughs) So for the last uh, two years, our lives have been dominated by a building project uh, in Nantes. We've been there for 12 years, since 2011. And uh, the last two years in particular have been taken up with building work. But as I've thought about it, in fact, uh, the last 12 years have been taken up with a much bigger and more important building project because any of us who are involved in the life of church, a church, the Church of Jesus Christ, we are all involved in building work, and that's the building of Christ's church. Jesus says in Matthew 16, I will build my church And uh, if you're part of a church, you're a Christian, you're part of that building work. And so for our our theme this weekend, we've been studying through the book of Acts in Nantes. And I've taken four uh, episodes from the book of Acts uh, and given the title for those four talks, Building for Christ in a Hostile World. Uh, Building for Christ in a Hostile World. That's what the book of Acts is about. And that's what we're about. And our first uh, address this evening, uh, I've entitled A Task Unfinished. A Task Unfinished. And I'd like to read with you the first uh, 11 verses uh, of the book of Acts. It's entitled The Acts of the Apostles. We'll be suggesting in a few minutes that they could maybe have a better name than that. But we're going to call it for tonight The Acts of the Apostles. And we'll read from verses 1. Uh, through to 11 of this first chapter. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's just bow our heads and ask for God's blessing on our study of his word. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together around your word. We thank you for the promise that you give us to help us to understand your word by your Holy Spirit who is at work in us. And so we pray that you would pour out that spirit among your people, upon your people here tonight as your word is preached and taught. We don't want simply to be hearers of the word, but doers only. We don't want to fill our minds with religious knowledge and for it not to impact our lives. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to humble ourselves before your word, that you would give us receptive ears and receptive hearts from the youngest to the oldest, and that you would speak, for your servants are listening. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I know that some of you uh, like to watch TV series, uh, what we call a box set. You had a box set of maybe, uh, I don't know how many videos there would be, or discs, not videos, discs. And uh, you watch usually one at a time. Some are given to watching two, maybe three, if it's particularly addictive. And uh, once, every once in a while I get to watch a series or a, an episode of a series on French TV, and I find it very frustrating because I haven't seen what has come before. Invariably, I haven't seen the week before. And so you think, well, I don't know what's happening in this story. But when you buy these box sets, what's great is that you get a little snippet at the start, and and I'm thinking of one particular uh, series, and it says, previously on the West Wing. So just in case you were lost and you don't have a clue what's happening, well, that gives you an idea of what has gone before. It helps you not to be as lost as you watch the the, the program. And in a way, that's what we see happening at the beginning of the book of Acts. Luke writes in the opening verse, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach and teach. In a sense, Luke is saying previously uh, in this story, previously in Uh, It's not the West Wing, but previously in Luke's Gospel. At the end of his first book, he had described the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. That's what happened previously. And it would have been easy to think that that was the end of the story. It would have been easy to think that Jesus' work, his mission, uh, they were done. But right at the start of this second book, we see that this is a sequel This follows on from the first book. And notice what Luke does not say. He doesn't say, I have dealt with everything that Jesus did and taught. He says, if you look at it carefully, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now you see the difference. He began to do it. That means that he started a job, but they hadn't finished it. He hadn't yet completed it. Some aspects, of course, of his work were completed. His atoning work, his work of dying uh, in the place of his people, 
uh, where he suffered the wrath and judgment of his father for our sin. That work was completed. Jesus was not going to come back and die on the cross again. He wouldn't need to do that. There was nothing to add to that work. But it's clear that at the beginning of the book of Acts, he still has work to do. He hasn't finished his work. Luke's gospel was only the beginning. And at the beginning of the second book, Jesus, of course, is still on earth. He's still with his disciples and he still has work to do. But the problem is, and we see it four times in the first 22 verses, we see it that Jesus is going to leave. So he has work to do and he is going to leave. And the work that we know he is going to do is the work of building his church. Now we know all about uh, builders who say they have work to do and who leave and who don't come back and no work gets done when builders aren't there. So what's going to happen when this chief builder, Jesus, who still has work to do, leaves? Who's going to complete his work? How is he going to get the work done if he's no longer there? And the book of Acts answers those questions for us. I've just said we call this book the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and it's not wrong to call that book there, but in reality, if you think about it, we only see the works of two or three of the apostles. Mostly Peter and Paul and a little bit of John. We see nothing of the works of Andrew, of Thomas, of Matthew, of Simon the Zealot. They're not mentioned by name uh, in this book in terms of what they're doing. And most commentators agree that it would be good to give to the book of Acts the title The Acts of Jesus Christ by His Spirit through His Church. And that would be a good title to give to the book. The Acts of Jesus Christ by His Spirit through His Church. This is the sequel that tells us how Jesus, through His Spirit, equips His apostles and sends them out to do the work that He had begun. It's His work. But it's done by his church in the power of his spirit. Jesus will ascend to heaven. He'll no longer be there in flesh and blood. But his ministry, his mission to build his church will carry on. To advance his work of advancing the kingdom will carry on. And so this book describes what Jesus continued to do by his spirit through his apostles and his church. And in the first 11 verses that we read, we see how Jesus prepares and equips his apostles to continue this task unfinished. We see Jesus entrusting this work to those who will be what he calls his witnesses. And the ascension of Jesus marks a transition in his ministry. It's a pivotal moment in the work of the church. The apostles will take over. But before he leaves, Jesus wants his disciples to understand what he is asking them. He's giving them a very weighty task. And he prepares them and equips them for that task. So this evening I want us to look and see together how Jesus equips his apostles for this unfinished task. This building work that has to be carried out. And we'll see what that means for us in the Church of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later on. And so the first thing we, we look at and see is a simple message 
to proclaim. Uh, A few years back in the last presidential elections in France, the Socialist Party, that's the party you may remember, François Mitterrand, former president for several years and more recently President Hollande, uh, their party, the Socialist Party, was completely wiped out from the electoral map. And as I remember, as France loves its political discussion programmes, the leaders of the Parti Socialiste, as it's called, They tried to explain the reason for this annihilation at the polls. And what they kept repeating time and time again was they failed to get their message across. Their message had not been clear. So people didn't know what they were voting for. And even the MPs who were encouraging people to vote for the socialist candidate for presidency, they didn't even understand what the message was. But here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus wants his disciples to be clear about the message. He doesn't want any confusion. And so knowing that his time is limited before he leaves, what what does Jesus spend his time doing? We see in in verse 3, he was appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 40 days spent teaching about the kingdom of God. Now this shouldn't surprise us. It's not like this is a new subject for Jesus. Talking about the kingdom of God is what Jesus had been doing the whole time through his ministry. Luke records it for us in Luke 4.43 where Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well for I was sent for this purpose. That's why I've been sent here. To preach and to teach the kingdom of God. And here he is now Jesus sending out his apostles with exactly the same message. That's what the word apostle means. Sent out one. Ones who have been sent out. And they're chosen by Jesus, sent by Jesus with exactly the same message that Jesus had been proclaiming and had been sent himself to announce. And so we see the whole way through this book, the message was very clear, the message of the kingdom of God. We read in Acts 8 verse 12, They believed in Philip who preached to them the good news of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 19 verse 8, we read of Paul. For three months he discussed concerning the kingdom of God. And uh, wonderfully, in the very last verse of the book of Acts, we see that Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. But what do we mean when we say the kingdom of God? Well, we would need several church weekends to answer that question. We don't have that time. But if you had to sum it up in a few words, you could say, King Jesus came to save, to establish his reign in the hearts of men, women and children, in his church, over the nations, over all creation. And there's quite a lot packed in there. But it's Jesus, the Messiah of God, coming to save and to reign, to be saviour and lord. This is the simple message to proclaim. We'll come back to that shortly. The second thing we see here is then a divine power to receive. With such an important message to announce and such a weighty task to accomplish, Jesus knows that his disciples will not be able to carry out this mission entrusted to them. Jesus knows them well enough. He spent three years with them. 
Uh, he knows that without him there to guide them and to encourage them and strengthen them, they will fall at the first hurdle. And so we know from reading the Gospels that this group of disciples is unlikely to be able to carry out uh, this, this mission. They need help. They will need help. And that's exactly what Jesus promises them. In verse 4, Jesus tells them about the gift. He says, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He's really told them about this gift. And in verses 5 and 8, he explains that the promise is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling and the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit. According to Jesus, what he says to his disciples, the Spirit of God will descend on you with power to equip you for this mission, the the transmission of this message. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And if these men are to preach this simple message, it will be by the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And if salvation is to be given to those who hear it, it will be by the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. And as you read on in the book of Acts, you will see the Holy Spirit coming with power. We, we, we know, of course, about the events of the day of Pentecost, where the Spirit comes with power. And in Acts 4, which we'll look at tomorrow, we see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit preaching the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit who will move Paul and Peter and John to write their epistles, directly inspired by this Holy Spirit that will descend on them. And just as the Spirit descended on Jesus at the start of his ministry, so the Spirit will descend on these twelve, these eleven men, twelve men, as they would become and as they would be sent out at the start of their ministry. So Jesus equips his apostles to continue the work. He gives them a simple message to proclaim and divine power to await. But even with the message, and even with the promised power which they will receive, that the apostles still need to be equipped for their mission. And that's why in verses 6 to 8, Jesus gives them the next thing that we see, and that is a glorious vision to grasp. A glorious vision to grasp. Since the building work started in Nantes, I think I probably already had this gift But I've developed the gift of asking stupid questions. Uh, I enjoy talking to the different people who come on site to do the things that they're doing. Uh, I don't know the words to describe what they're doing in English. And so to find those words in French is really an extra special challenge. There are now words actually that I know in French that I don't know in English. Because I've learned them in the building site. And they explain to me what they're going to do. And then I put my special gift into practice and I say, well, how are you going to get that thing into that place there? And how are you going to move this? And then you can see this look comes across their face to think, oh, he clearly wasn't listening or clearly hasn't a clue what I'm talking about. But uh, my questions clearly demonstrate that I haven't understood what I've been told. And it's pretty much the same for the disciples' question in verse 6. It shows, not that it's so much a stupid question, we'll see that, but they haven't grasped what they've been told. And they certainly haven't grasped the breadth of Jesus' mission. 
Because they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples want to return to the good old days of David and Solomon and the other great kings of Israel. They want to see Messiah Jesus on an earthly throne. These disciples would have known the the prophecies of the Old Testament which speak of the restoration of the kingdom and the outpouring and link that with the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And so while their question is not stupid entirely, their, their vision is really far too limited. And in response, Jesus reminds them of of his Father's sovereignty over all these things. It's not for you to know the time or the seasons. And so the the apostles will have to curb their curiosity and submit to the sovereign will of God. But more than that, Jesus gives them a, a far more glorious vision, which they are going to have to grasp if they are to carry out the mission, the task that he has given to them. Jesus never had in mind a political or a national kingdom. His vision is far more glorious of a worldwide, universal kingdom. And for this worldwide kingdom to come, the message must be taken far beyond the bounds of Jerusalem. A worldwide kingdom needs a worldwide message to be preached. And this is what Jesus calls for in verse 8, this verse that we know so well. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the glorious vision to be grasped. You will talk about me and my reign. Yes, here in Jerusalem, you probably had that in mind. But you'll go much, much further. And my reign and my power will come here in Jerusalem. But it will also come in Judea. It will come in Samaria. And it will come in places you could never have imagined. And again, this is not a new idea. This is a vision that has its roots in the Old Testament scriptures. We think of what God promised to Abraham. That in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. We think of the Psalms that we love to sing. About the nations praising God. Calling him blessed. And here Jesus. The descendant of Abraham. The one of whom we sing in the Psalms. The fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. He's sending out his apostles. To proclaim this message worldwide. To preach the good news. To bear witness to the life, death and resurrection and reign of Jesus, King Jesus. You see how much more glorious his vision is than theirs. Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Man, it's far, far bigger than that. This verse 8 is a summary of the entire book of Acts. And in chapters 1 to 7, we see the gospel coming with power in Jerusalem. And then chapter 8, verse 1, we hear the great persecution that pushes the the Christians out into Judea and Samaria. And they go proclaiming this message. And then from chapter 11, we see this message being announced to the ends of the earth. Jesus shares his vision. The apostles grasp it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit... 
the message of the kingdom of God is preached to the ends of the earth. How does Jesus prepare his disciples for this task unfinished? By a simple message to proclaim, by a divine power to receive, by a glorious vision to grasp. But there's one more thing that Jesus does in these verses. One way in which he equips his apostles, and that is he gives them a great promise to anticipate. Verse 2 tells us that following his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the apostles several times over 40 days. Luke seems to want to emphasize that his resurrection is a real historic event that many people witnessed. And for 40 days, Jesus appears to his disciples and then he leaves and then he appears again and then he leaves and he appears again. But here in verse 9, it's different. His way of leaving the disciples, his way of of going away shows that this time it's final. It's definitive. He's not coming back yet. The apostles will not see him again the next day or in a week's time. You've been getting used to the idea of uh, Warren uh, and Ruth and family leaving. And you've said they've gone and then they've been back and then they've gone and then they've been back but the day is coming soon and we found this when we went to France and we knew for months that we were going to go and so we're making our way towards that but then when you drive down that road south and, a, and you book for the first time ever to go into France a single ticket and you're not planning on being back next week well with Jesus it's even longer he's going away And you're not going to see him again. And the ascension of Jesus marks the end of part of his ministry and the beginning of this new stage in the accomplishment of the work. New ministry for the apostles. And in verse 10 we see see them gazing up into heaven as any of us would have done. You You know that. Don't think we'd have said, right, Jesus gave us something to do, let's go and do it. We'd have all have been standing there gazing up into heaven, eyes wide open, amazed at what we've just seen. Jesus, their friend, their master, their saviour, their God, and now, now he's gone. But the apostles mustn't stay there. In verse 10, these two angels appear and described as two men in white robes. And what do they say to the apostles? Verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And then there's this promise. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. Now the the, the angels could have just said to the apostles, stop standing there gawking up into heaven and go and do what Jesus said. They would have been perfectly justified in saying that, but they, they, the angels, are entrusted with a message for the apostles. A message, I think, that's given to encourage them and to motivate them. And even in that, we see the the kindness and the compassion of Christ uh, giving his apostles, his disciples, this, this encouragement, not just saying to them, go and get on with what I've told you. Because this promise of the return of Jesus, I believe, is to encourage and to motivate, is to comfort them. They're facing an enormous task. And the angels say to the apostles, Jesus will come again. Yes, he's gone, but it's not the end. He will be back. Trust him. 
And while you're waiting for his return, do what he's asked you to do. Fix your eyes not on the sky, but on the task set before you. But never forget that he's coming back. The king will come back. And what we see in this book and in the writing of these men that stood looking up is the reality, the reality of Jesus' future return serves to motivate and to encourage the apostles for their present work. So this future promise motivates us for the, future, for the present work. They, they had heard the parables of Jesus uh, speaking about the importance of being ready for the king's return. And now this promise from the part of the angels, they can, with this promise they can work in the light of Jesus coming back. This anticipation of his return motivates them, helps them to persevere in their mission. It prompts them to be zealous, to remain vigilant and to take every opportunity uh, to spread the message. And when we read the the writings of these apostles, we see men whose lives are dominated by this great truth. The same Jesus will return in the same way. The Apostle John, at the end of the book of Revelation, he writes, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He never forgot this message from the angels that day as they stood looking into the heaven. So we see a simple message to deliver, a divine power to receive, a glorious vision to grasp, and a great promise to anticipate. This is how Jesus equips and prepares his apostles to do this work. And as we read the book of Acts, we have the privilege of seeing the impact of the message, the simple message of seeing the power of the Holy Spirit, of seeing the world transformed by the testimony of these apostles who give their lives to announce the good news of the kingdom of God. But this work doesn't stop with Acts 28. You see, Jesus still continues his work in in this world. By his spirit, through his church. We, if you like, are Acts 29. The continuation of Christ's building work. Now things have changed. We don't have apostles anymore. Uh, But the message is still the same. The power of the Holy Spirit still comes upon us. And those things that we saw, this vision is even greater. The message is still the message of salvation, of forgiveness, of reconciliation with God offered in Christ to all who will believe. That message hasn't changed. It's a message that you hear announced week in, week out. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord, Peter preached at Pentecost, will be saved. It's so simple. And we must never lose sight of this message given to Jesus by Jesus to his church. From time to time, uh, Heather works in uh, a Matthew's school on a, a Monday. So I would usually be at home uh, doing things about the office and bits and pieces. And she leaves me generally with one pretty clear instruction. 
regarding lunch. Uh, it's not never too complicated. It might just be go and get some baps or leave out the soup or leave out the thing out of the freezer. It's usually one fairly simple thing. And school finishes for the morning at 12 o'clock. And often, often at about three minutes to 12, I think, oh, no. And it's not, it's not that I've been sitting doing nothing. I've been busy. But the one thing I've been given to do, I've forgotten to do it. And so there's a frenzied panic. How can I defrost? <laughs> how can I defrost this in five minutes? It's not, how can I get down to the bakery in five minutes? I can't. And I sometimes think that the church, we've been given this important task, this message to announce, and we can be so busy with good, worthwhile things, but we forget the message that we've been given to announce. And if we don't announce it, who will? If we don't take this message to the places around us, even before we talk about the ends of the earth, who will? And outreach activities in and of themselves are great, but they're not an end in themselves. The purpose of these activities must be to create openings, opportunities to announce the message given to us by Christ. In Nantes, we could run language classes, friendship meals, activities for the children, but the local mosque could do that. And the local mosque would probably do a better job of it. They have more people and they have more resources and they have more space. But the local mosque will never announce the message given by Christ. So if we're not announcing it, who is? Who will? The church of Jesus Christ must announce the message. Ours is the same message. And the same spirit that came with power upon the apostles is the same spirit working in us. It's the spirit who regenerates us, who opens our eyes, who touches our hearts, who uses the word to convince us and to strengthen us. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit who lives in every child of God, who transforms us, who produces fruit in our lives to the glory of God. And this spirit lives in you and equips you for service. It empowers you. He empowers you for service if you're in Christ. And this same spirit brings new life when we announce the message. And the glorious vision that Jesus gave to his apostles, it hasn't changed. You could even say that the vision has the vision we have is even more glorious. At this time, the disciples hadn't seen the impact of the gospel worldwide. We have. We are the fruit of the message worldwide. The disciples had seen Jesus at work in a small area. We've seen Jesus at work in every country in the world. And so our vision should be even greater. But it's so easy to lose that vision, friends. And to go back to a limited, narrow vision, limited to our congregation. 
and our denomination and our wee island. We forget that Jesus sends his witnesses to the ends of the earth. What do we sing? Tell his glory to the nations. His great works to peoples all. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. All distant shores their joy make known. Is that our vision for the work that Christ has given us? The vision of the glory of our King, of his kingdom, does it push us to the ends of the earth? Sometimes I feel it doesn't even push me to the end of the street. And we're called to go to the end of the earth. We forget that our king is powerful, powerful to save, powerful to save even the most hardened heart, like Saul of Tarsus. And then, of course, the promise of the return of Christ. If that was true 2,000 years ago, how much more true is it this evening? The same Jesus will come back in the way we saw him go to heaven. And this passage asks us to be honest with ourselves and before God. Do we live in the light of the sure return of Jesus Christ? Are we motivated to be zealous in the task that is yet unfinished? And he is coming soon. Perhaps the apostles who looked into heaven, just like them, were preoccupied. We're just standing, not doing very much, sidetracked with secondary things which must not distract us from the primary task we have been given. In the few verses that follow this passage, we see the apostles apostles obey the Lord Jesus. We see them return to Jerusalem, and they give themselves to prayer and to preparing themselves for carrying out this task and for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then they go out in obedience to the word of King Jesus. That was their response. And what is our response? What are we doing with that message, with that power, with that vision, and with that promise? The task is not yet finished. I'd like to finish by quoting uh, words written by uh, Frank Houghton, a missionary to China with the China Inland Mission, the leader of that mission for for many years. And he wrote a hymn that was written at a time of fierce persecution for Christians in China, so it wasn't written from the comfort of an armchair in the United Kingdom. And his hymn is called Facing a Task Unfinished. And he wrote, Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. Where other lords besides thee hold their unhindered sway, where forces that defied thee defy thee still today, with none to heed their crying for life and love and light, Unnumbered souls are dying and pass into the night. 
we bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message, ours, fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Saviour whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake. Forth on thine errand send us to labour for thy sake. Amen.